We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, Hoopstats fans, welcome to a very special episode of the Unplugged Podcast. As always, you're here with Megan Gower, and what a night we had last night with the WNBA draft. So fun to watch, super exciting to see where everyone ended up. And then we also hosted a post-draft show live on Twitter, which was a great, fun experiment for us. We are lucky enough to have three awesome guests on that post-draft show and wanted to take the interviews from that in case you missed it and put them to this podcast so that you can hear them even if you missed our live stream. We are lucky enough to have Miriam Fader from Bleacher Report, who wrote a great profile on Sabrina Ionescu this past week, who was obviously the number one pick last night to the New York Liberty. We also had assistant coach of the Washington Mystics, Eric Thibault on, and then Finally, head coach and GM of the Minnesota Lynx, Cheryl Reeve, joined us. So lots of great chats with those people, and we wanted to share them with you. So without further ado, first up, here's Miriam Fader. Miriam, hey, Aaron Barzlai here. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, we really appreciate uh, having you on on as well. How are you doing tonight? Were you able to watch the whole uh, event? Well, I actually just got off of a call, so unfortunately, Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to watch it, but I've just, like, re-scrolled and checked everything, so Um, I'm mad that I didn't get to see it live, but... Absolutely. It was was actually, I thought, a really good uh, production guys. What, What did the rest of you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think they had some technical difficulties, but what else can you expect? They've had them do tonight. So I think for the situation, it was so well done. <laughs> That's awesome. 
That's the deal that, you know, when you're working with that many remote from that many remote locations and you're trying to do it, you know, in some cases, obviously off cell phones or off, you know, laptop computers, whatever uh, interfaces they were using, uh, it had to be so challenging for them. And obviously there's some delay that goes along with that as well. And, you know, those two, three seconds of waiting, which in broadcasting can feel like forever. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I thought that Ryan Rucco did a good job specifically keeping it moving and keeping the energy up. And anything that was happening inside the studio had that great energy and, and really popped. And they were able to, you know, kind of take back the energy after the interviews where, uh, yeah, it was a little bit tough in there with, with the delay sometimes. So, uh, Mirren, you wrote an amazing article that went out this week, I think, about uh, Sabrina, right? Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. And uh, I was, you know, was, uh, went back. Right, you also wrote an article about two things I noticed. You also wrote an article about her last year too, if I recall correctly. So right. I think you might be one of the only people that have written kind of two in-depth pieces on her. Lucky to get access to her. She's, you know, very protective. Obviously, um, she's been through a lot. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I just I love her drive. You know, I think you when you profile people, you want to profile compelling people that are just always ticking. And Sabrina is literally always ticking. Like she does not um, ever stop. And so I wanted to know really, like, what is it like when you have to stop? Like, what does that do to somebody like that? Yeah, so I had a few questions about like the article and your process and stuff. But my first question for you is, do you have a sense about whether you think she was kind of born with that drive or is that kind of developed with some kind of seminal moment in her life? Or what do you think? Yeah, she was definitely born with it. I I think with her, it started out with her, you know, battling her brother. But I think it was more than that. She's just like never wanted to. It's more than never wanting to lose. It's like her expectations for herself have always just been so high. Like her standards are so much higher than the rest of us. And I think her internal clock was always so much different. And it pushed her to reach a level of success. But then it, it pushed her to be really hard on herself. And I feel like the last four years have been really her trying to learn like how to coexist with this harsh critic inside that makes her so great, but is also like really hard to deal with sometimes. Did uh, you, first of all, when did you do the most of the research for the latest article? Was it all since really the pandemic or had you done any interviews in person before that? No, it was all done April 1st uh, with the <laughs> reporting. Yeah. So which was interesting because, you know, ca- catching her on a day where she should have been in New Orleans. So, you know, uh, it, it was weird. But I mean, I was obviously grateful. You know, we all got to come up with stuff during this time of no sports. So I was I was glad she picked up. Yeah. Do you find that she is uh, maybe more so even from your experience last year, sort of pretty accessible or has she really got that sort of your first or earlier sort of a tight circle? Like your article, I think your latest one sort of made her feel like she's a little bit more of the team, I thought, than the first one kind of came up, if I remember correctly. And I think that's because she's changed, like she's grown. I think this experience has caused her to open up more, to be more willing to be vulnerable, to be more... um just more, more free, you know, just, just more relaxed. Um, and, and that's what adversity sometimes will do to you is like you encounter so much that it, it causes you to rethink how you were living before and, and what's really important in life. And I think that she was able to like really trust her teammates and her coaches to, you know, maybe, uh, ease up a little bit because she was not allowed to ease up 
her coach said it best in the story. She's had a bullseye on her back for the last six years. So I think she was a bit more guarded the first time that I spoke with her last year. And I, I felt a more open, more mature, more grown Sabrina this time. Gotcha. And obviously the number one pick tonight. So kind of the end yeah. of college journey. Really exciting for her. <laughs> Yeah, it's so exciting. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to have that moment be virtual, but you know, whatever. Like she, I think she's, she just wants to get out there on the court. Like I think all of this stuff, you know, she doesn't even retweet anymore when she wins an award. She's just like, oh yeah, I, I just won the Naismith today. Okay. All right. Whatever. What are we having for dinner? You know, like she's very like, she's just so focused on, on getting better. Yeah. You know, Mary, one question I had for you is, you know, you obviously write, I've written a lot of great stories about uh, women's basketball, but you write about so many more topics. We're maybe a little bit more in the bubble. You know, I was joking recently, like, I think there's a chance she could be the most uh, popular kind of college basketball player, men's or women's this season, but probably a little biased on that. I'm curious as someone that's not only in the co- women's college basketball, women's basketball world, you know, what your perception of how the non-women's basketball fans kind of perceive her. Yeah, they love her. Um, Sabrina has that Diana Taurasi crossover where both men and women uh, appreciate her game. They relate to her game. They, you know, you always hear them say, and this is, you know, a sexist thing to say, but, oh, she plays like a dude. And so I think guys fans always say that to her, even though she obviously just plays like a woman, like exactly as she is. Um, But I think that just speaks to how many people love and respect her game because the, the cool thing about Sabrina is that she's not good because she's athletic. She's not athletic. She's not particularly fast. She's not a particularly great athlete in any sense of the word, but she's smart and she works hard and she's just got incredible skill. And I think that both men and women can appreciate somebody that doesn't maybe fit the mold, but they get it done anyway. Definitely. I think she's going to bring a great amount of attention to the WNBA too. Just the college fouling that she's grabbed this year and last season really too. Um, obviously people are really excited about her heading to New York. You could see that excitement on Twitter today, which was exciting to see. Yeah. What a great place to go, right? When you have that type of following. Exactly. Yeah. Probably one of the best places to go with that kind of following. So it should be really exciting. Were you surprised at how many articles have come out from so many different people, uh, over the last few weeks about her? I I think, it doesn't surprise me anymore. It's just interesting. Like when I, when I got into the industry about like six years ago now, um, you know, it was not cool to cover women's basketball. Like it was definitely like my first internship was with the Sparks. It was NECA's rookie year. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just remember like, the WMA just did not have a moment. It was almost seen as like lesser on my resume. Like, oh yeah, like you interned with the Sparks, but like it's not the Lakers, not the Clippers. And I think like over the last couple of years, it has become so much more in to cover women. Like, you know, from that time that I was at that internship to when I was freelancing for ESPNW, I've covered women this entire time and it was always seen as less than. And now it's like, it's just totally different. And so to me now, it doesn't surprise me that, that every outlet is like, oh yeah, we must have a Sabrina feature versus like six years ago, you just have one. Definitely. It's good to see. Obviously what we all want to see. You know, yeah. I wonder what that, what that pivot point was, you know, why has that been, you know, and it's not just Sabrina or anything like that. I, obviously she's a magnetic personality. Um, but, 
But why is that? Is that does that go back to uh, the Me Too movement? It, you know, what has changed over the last few years in our society that you know where people feel like, and I I get the same sense that it is the right thing to do. It is what you have to do. You have to cover women's sports as well, or you're not doing it uh, the right way. What changed? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of factors. I would say Me Too as well, for sure, is part of it. I think it's also just, um, it's there's a, there's a certain shaming that is going on now when somebody doesn't, um, like, accord to, like, proper, like, gender equity that was not there before. And I think that's, like, the rise of social media and, you know, teams starting to, not teams, but, like, the NBA and, and uh, sponsors starting to invest in women. And I think there's been so many people calling people out for not doing that that is almost like you don't want to be that outlet that, like, doesn't. And, and you'll get, like, shamed. There's... That type of, like, attitude, like, you must cover us, you know, you're not doing the right thing if you don't. Like, I just don't think that was there five years ago, and I think enough people have done great advocacy work, but also literally poured, like, tangible dollars into the league. And, of course, you know, the new CBA really helps in terms of, like, other others, like, recognizing how great the league is and stuff like that. So I think it's a variety of things that allowed it to change. Um but it's also just sort of normalizing it, which is where I feel like this it needs to go next. It's like, we don't need a woman's feature because we just need a woman's feature. We need a woman's feature because it's interesting, right? Like, I'm not writing about Serena because she's a woman. I'm writing about Serena because she's fascinating and she's talented and she's dealing with loss and grief and learning to dance in the rain. And I would have done that story if Sabrina was a guy. So I, I hope that as we do more coverage, it's not just like, oh, we need our quote, we need our one woman's feature. Let's have that person do it and think of it more just like as part of the general coverage as like, wow, this is an important story to tell. Like, of course we want to tell it. Like you don't think twice about it. Right. And you're based in LA. What's your perception? You talked about how you interned for the Sparks, how the Sparks are perceived and, you know, maybe how it's developed over, you know, since you were an intern. I mean, I think it's, um, there's more fans and there's way more attention now. I think there was like 11,000 or something at this year's attendance. So it's a completely stark difference in terms of like, you know, attendance. But unfortunately, like, I still think that a lot of people don't necessarily like embrace the sparks. Like I, I very much think LA for most people, and I'm not saying for all people, there's a lot of people here who love the Sparks and identify, and I'm not saying that they don't. But for the average Joe that doesn't really know anything about sports, they're just like, oh, Lakers, Clippers. So I, I still think that there's a ways to go with visibility, and, and part of that is WNBA revenue and ticket sales and TV deals, and all these things are outside of the Sparks' control. So I, I think that, like, there's – um we, we should celebrate the gains of the women's league because it's amazing, but also recognize like there's still a lot of things to do to make it more mainstream. Definitely, definitely, definitely. One other um, Sabrina question, bringing it back to uh, your article that you wrote there is uh, how do you think she's going to deal with being a rookie with presumably struggling, struggling a little bit, probably losing more games than she's lost in multiple seasons in just a few months you know, what's your perception of where she'll, how she'll react and how she'll develop over time there? 
I mean, it's going to piss her off. Like she hates, <laughs> she hates losing. Um, but she is actually like the perfect person for this because if y'all remember, she took a, a very mediocre high school team and turned them into a champions. She turned a horrible Oregon team, WNIT team into a national title contender. So this is kind of like exactly what Sabrina's primed to do and, and what she loves to do. She doesn't want to take the easy route and just, she could have gone to UConn, you know, but she wanted to build something. So I think that she's excited for this challenge. I mean, she is, she told me she's, she's, she loves the challenge, but I think that like that part of her that, you know, we discussed in the article that feels inferior, that's going to come out um, because the competition she sees in the WNBA is going to be more than college. So it's like everyone is going to give Sabrina triple teams and their best game. And she's going to have to adapt. And I have obviously full faith that she will. She's so great. But I do think like dealing with that world of self-doubt, it, it will be like the volume will be turned up a bit more than it was in college. Interesting, interesting. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I really, yeah. really appreciate you hopping on. It's great to hear about it. It was a wonderful article. We definitely Thank encourage you. everybody who's watching and listening to read your stuff. Uh, it's really been great to see, uh, you know, I've been following you your career for quite a while. This is really the first time we've talked live and I'm looking forward to uh, doing it again sometime soon. Yeah, thank you so much, and and thank you all for the work that you do. I love talking women's basketball with people. It's it's a labor of love. So keep doing what you're doing. Appreciate it. Thanks thank a lot. Thank you. All right. Bye. What a great chat with Miran there. And as Erin was saying at the end of the interview, if you haven't checked out her work, definitely do. She writes some fantastic pieces. And that piece on Sabrina this past week was really incredible. So next up, we have assistant coach from the Washington Mystics, Eric Tebow, who's going to talk a little bit about their draft night experience, a little bit different maybe than most teams with just having their first pick at number 24. So no first round picks, obviously, with the block bluster Tina Charles trade last week. They still feel like they won. Um, So without further ado, here's Eric. To welcome our next guest, any second now, Eric Tebow on the line, assistant coach uh, for the Washington Mystics and probably future head coach somewhere in the league. How are you doing, Eric? I think you're on Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Can, can you see me all right? This is, uh, you know, we're all using every inch of space we have right now in our places so here i am <laughs> we can we can it's great to have you we've got uh megan gower on the line uh john little uh calvin wetzel's also with us cindy smith jacob mock so a lot of people here we really enjoyed the night what was it like from your perspective you had a very unique perspective both with the virtual draft and that you didn't really have any early picks yeah the, doing the uh the trade for tina charles obviously took a little bit of the uh the pressure off the night uh, you know, we feel like that's about as good a draft as was possible for us to have. Um, it's kind of fun. We almost like we got to draft the same player, uh, twice after taking Tina in Connecticut. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's kind of fun. We hadn't been in this position before, but we didn't have a first round pick, at least in DC. And, you know, when you're in the first round somewhere, you, you got to know almost what you think is going to happen at every pick, even though there might be a surprise or two. When you're picking at 24, it's kind of like, all right, here's this group of players, and you don't know. It's a lot harder to predict maybe like 13 through 23 um, in front of us. So you just got to have your own kind of internal list and uh, wait and see how it pans out. 
Absolutely. One question I wanted to ask you, actually, what you brought up there. How well, either this year or in years past, do you feel like you're able to predict what the people are ahead of you? Um, you know, I recall when I was working in the NBA, people would always be like really confident, like, oh, we know this is happening, that happening, and didn't always come true. I'm curious how you feel the intel is around that and, and the process for gathering it. I would say a lot of years, you call, there tends to be one wild card. Um, you know, I think I think tonight people would say that maybe Herbert Harrigan was a, a little bit of a wild card in the first round, even though I think most people thought she would be a first-round pick. Um, so, you, yeah, I don't know. You're, you're trying to get it as best you can. Obviously, it's other teams trying not to let you know exactly what they're doing. Um, and you don't know where people are in trade discussions, which, which can really change uh, how the first round shakes out. There's been years where we've had it you know, dead on 100% accurate. And then there's other years where we've missed a couple. And, uh, you know, but generally we have, you know, we're never in a situation where we're like totally caught off guard and we're not ready to take somebody. You know, you got to do out the number of players you like till your pick. Absolutely. Do you feel like you uh, are always trading notes on those informal, not quite trade calls, but sort of trade calls with other uh, front offices where all you're doing is talk about everybody else except for them to get a handle on what the scuttlebutt is? <sighs> How do I say this politically correctly? Uh, we some teams like to talk a lot, and some teams mm. don't like to talk as much. I would say we're on the. I don't know. Probably everybody thinks they don't talk a lot, right? We we I would say we're on the left side. Like I don't think you know. I think internally in the league, people probably knew that Tina thing was going down, um, but we don't. I know I don't think anybody saw anything publicly about us doing a deal. So we try to keep it pretty, pretty tight lipped because you just don't know what's going to happen or not happen and. Uh, I don't know. If you, if you feel confident in what you're doing, you don't want your business out there all the time. I'd say a quarter of the league knew what you were going to do, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure there were teams. <laughs> because, you know, obviously, you know, you saw tonight uh, New York dealt Shatori, so I'm sure they were, you know, working on that. Um, obviously, it didn't. I don't think that probably just happened all of a sudden tonight. So um, I'm sure it was out there, but, you know, we just right. worried about our part of it and let them deal with that. Drink. Anybody else drinking, by the way? Can I have a drink? Anybody, anybody you can have, have a post drink here? All no right, rules. great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drink. So you're good. <laughs> yeah, it's late. This is our lo-fi. Uh, late night podcast. WNBA. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I thought it was kind of crazy. I know that James Wade, right, was doing this from France. I didn't do the math on what time it is there right now. And uh, um, I know I talked to, I don't think I'm giving too much away. The teacher Pinachero said she did, it was in Portugal. She's probably talking to her folks as well. Um, yeah. So be well. Yeah, and you got a lot. I'm sure a lot of player agents too. Uh, you know, a lot of them are based overseas, and they're probably staying up late to to you know either uh, lobby for their for their clients or try to get some clients. Well, I'm monopolizing the conversation. I'll ask one last question, and then I'll turn to these guys. How did you end up doing your virtual draft room? You have the, as we were talking about, sort of the advantage that you know working with your father, it's a little more reasonable for you to be. Uh, a, a unit uh, quarantining together. Did you end up going and doing it in person and taking advantage of that, or are you still at your house and he's at his place? I don't know what league policy allows me to say. Oh, uh, okay, oh, that's so true. I'll, right? just, I'll give the general setup. Uh, we had, you know, we have a there's a conference call with the league going on. Right. On, you know, we have one line for that, and then we have a computer setup that we had all of our staff on. Um, so it actually wasn't too bad. I mean, it's nice when everybody's in the same room and. Uh, you can do it that way, but it wasn't, it wasn't that crazy. You know, we, maybe if we had been in the middle of the trade talks in the first round or something, it could have gotten a little crazy trying to communicate, um, you know, one person to everybody else and then offline, but it, it worked out. Okay. It wasn't too bad. Were there any players at 12 there? I wonder if there's any jealousy 
you know, I, I know you're uh, really excited to have Tina Charles, and you wouldn't have Tina Charles without trading away 12. But as you're watching the first round go down, you're like, man, that player's dropping, and we really liked her there. Um, it, I, I guess it's more anecdotal than anything and uh, specific to tonight, but uh, do you even think about that, or are you guys just laser-focused on 24 and who's going to be there? I would say we were focused on 20. It's a boring answer, but we were focused on 24. And I think once, I mean, our, our priority number one was to get Tina. Like that was, you know, for us, that was going to be a great draft. Um, you know, I thought who went 12 Jasmine Jones. I thought that was a great pick by, by New York. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. I think uh, a lot of teams that were in that same region of picks, both at 12 and at 24 seemed to really kind of hone in on the same few players. So, um, no, no regrets. I mean, Tina's, she, we can't, to think we came out of the draft with the 12th pick with, and, and we had Tina Charles. I mean, that's beyond our, our wildest hopes there. But, uh, you know, we knew all night we were going to be, be focused on 24 primarily. But you do your work on everybody. And this is something we brought up right before you came in. And I, I just wanted to see from your perspective, broken down the players. I was wondering about Ruthie Hebert versus Megan Gustafson, two very uh, dominant players in college, two very efficient players in college. I was, um, you know, Megan kind of slid last year. Ruthie didn't really. I mean, she went right where people thought she would go. And and so what's the difference between those two players, if anything? If if somebody that's going to break down the draft um, could tell me how people felt about each of those players these last two years. I mean, the first thing that jumps to mind is Ruthie, I think, in college, spent a lot more time playing in the pick and roll maybe than Megan did. Megan got so many post-ups. Um, Ruthie obviously played with a guard who's going to be like like Sloot uh, to some degree. And, and, you know, a lot of teams in our league have a point guard that runs a lot of pick and roll. I think right off the bat that helps her. She's, you know, her and Sabrina saw every co- uh, coverage in college more than mm-hmm. any other combo of players. So she's learned how to flip picks and slip out and get in the gap and all that type of stuff. Uh, we'll see how much Chicago uses her as a, as a straight post-up player. You know, when they got the weapons they already have, I'm going to guess not as much as maybe Megan would be. Um, I think she's more of a true post-up player who's going to have to learn to run a little bit more pick and roll. Um, but, you know, Dallas has some some guards now that, you know, are going to see what she can do on that type of thing. Dallas, Dallas, I thought, had a phenomenal draft. Definitely. Going back to your picks, you know, at 24, or you took Jalen Agnew. How do you see her fitting in with the Mystics in your roster? Well, right off the bat, uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, we have we're going to. I think Coach T has said it publicly that as the salary cap stands right now, we're probably playing with eleven. Um, so you know, it's going to be tough. We have eleven before tonight. Um, Jalen, I think, with Shatori being traded, there's a, a a spot there that would make a lot of sense for her. Um, the fact that she can shoot the ball on our team is a huge asset. You know, everything we do now is um, about having spacing around Elena, Emma, Tina, Tiana, Latoya, and then, you know, room for Natasha Cloud to drive and make plays and kick out of the pick and roll. So um, coming in and being a, you know, a 40% knockdown three-point shooter gives her a great chance right off the bat in camp. Uh, so we just felt that made a lot of sense right there. And, you know, she seems like a great kid, interviewed really well, got really great references from people. So uh, we were pretty excited when she was there. 
Awesome. Yeah, and how do you think about valuing those picks when you know you're constrained in that way, um, both in the short term and the long term? I think it's it's hard to we're in such a weird time. I mean, to be honest with you, I think there's so many unknowns right now. Like everybody's trying to hedge their bets to some degree. Like we, you know, uh, one, you always want competition in training camp. So if we're sitting here with 11 players and it's 11 man roster, well, you know, you at least want somebody on the line trying to fight for a job. Um, shooting such a skill that we think is, is worth bringing in to, to give it a shot. Sitting at 24, like most years, you're not expecting maybe that person to make your team, and especially with the team we've had. But we just felt like positionally, skill-wise, um, that, you know, she's going to have as good a shot as anybody. And, and you know, we're going to give her every shot in camp, yeah. whatever that may be. Does it uh, sort of help you in kind of the long term with uh, someone in that situation? You know, you and other teams in the league when they're drafting later in, in the draft? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question just because – if they can't, if uh, it's not talking about Jalen specifically, but right. if a player can't make your team, I don't know what long-term trajectory there is. You know what I mean? Like we took Myesha Hines Allen a couple of years ago as a second round pick, knowing that there was a good chance she had to make our team and that she could be a longer term project. Right. Um, you know, it was kind of the same situation here. There was like one job that was kind of open at the time. Uh, she fought and we knew that if she made it, that was going to be a long-term project. Uh, most year, like especially when you get in the third round, that person's going to have to really do something to to get onto the roster. Yep, just one of the struggles of a 140 person league with right. so many good right. players out there. <laughs> yeah, anyone? You, you else? know, you sort. Go, oh, go ahead, Megan. <laughs> no, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> okay, so Eric, one other question I had for you, I um, you know, can relate this a little bit. So it's a huge push. I'm sure, you know, you're going to have a couple more beers and uh, just sleep very well tonight. Probably haven't gotten a ton of sleep uh, this week. And so a little time to recover. Like, it, can you talk a little bit about what you normally do, you know, the day or two after the draft in a typical year? And then, like, what do you think you're going to do on Monday? Yeah, good question. Well, I think the first thing that's on my, my docket this weekend is I'm being put on the Mystics uh, Twitter account tomorrow to live tweet our game one against Vegas. So I got to keep myself in some sort of condition tonight to, <laughs> to be able to not make an idiot of myself tomorrow. Um, but yeah, now I think uh, we're doing a lot of, uh, you know, video type work for our players. We kind of do some instructional stuff that maybe we wouldn't normally have time for. Um, you know, trying to just check in with each of them just to see what they need, what we can do for them. Uh, normally, especially if it was like this year where it's a quick turnaround, you know, we'd probably be talking to a couple players about coming in for camp. I think everybody's probably holding off on that for right now um, to some degree. Uh, so normally we'd be doing that. We usually have a few players in town to, to, to do workouts. Um, for sure we'd be doing that. And then we'd be kind of planning out training camp the next week or 10 days uh, just trying to get that that schedule for the first couple of weeks. So that, I don't know if people realize how many crazy things you have to do during camp, whether it's league seminars or media day or open practices. Like it just you, you really have to plan it out. So uh, that could be a mad dash when that eventually happens. Hopefully it does happen. <laughs> Hopefully it happens. We're all very yeah. <laughs> we're all very hopeful on that one. Yeah. <laughs> 
Group, is anybody watching Game 5 of the Finals right now? I am not. Because I'm trying to... <laughs> We're 100% focused on you, Eric. I appreciate you stepping in. It's a great fourth quarter, guys. You should check it out. Uh, I hope you guys come back. You're, you're down three right now. We're down the yeah, it gets It gets a little worse, I think, before it gets better. How many times have you watched that? Ooh, I... So I try... So this is... I tried to come home and watch. We had our team party after game five. I tried to come home and watch the second half at about three in the morning, and I made it about three minutes, <laughs> and, I, and I crashed. I've watched it probably probably once all the way through in, in the second half a couple times. Um, yeah, bits and pieces kind of of the playoffs here and there. I, I've got a question related to – you talked about Dallas having a really good draft – and you guys being kind of in an opposite position from them where they're talking about competition, competition, competition coming into their uh, camp whenever camp happens. And, and a roster, they're going to be right at the 15, of course, um, going into camp and everything. And when you've got talented players, so many of which have had, you know, they're either top seven draft picks this year or they've had significant roles in the WNBA here recently, um, how would you as a coach try to structure competition um, to figure out who gets on your roster in a complicated situation like that? That's a great question. I mean, uh, it reminds me of our first year in D.C. when we came in and and we're taking over a team that had really struggled and we had, we felt several jobs up for grabs and we had brought in some, uh, you know, our draft picks, Taylor Hill, Emma Miesman, Nadira McKenneth, um, and then we brought in players like Tiara Ruffin-Pratt, who was undrafted. And we just basically tried to do as many things in practice as we could that we kept the score, that we gave them opportunities to, you know, battle back and forth. Exhibition games obviously help. I think, you know, Dallas is a lot more talented than that team we we came in with in 2013. Like, they got, they got some players that are going to be good for a long time. So their competition, you know, I think is going to be uh, – I think their top seven or eight is going to resolve itself, and then they're going to probably have competition for those last few spots. But I think on that team, their competition is going to be for minutes. Like they've got a lot of young, talented players that want to play. Um, only a forty-minute game, and you can only play five people at a time. So like that's it's those minutes add up quick. And I know Enrique is going to get shots. Yeah. I know that much. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Sure Appreciate it, Eric. Thank you so much for stopping. Thanks, guys. Get it. This is a great thing you're doing. I love it. I appreciate it. We thanks for all your support and uh, yeah, get some rest and uh, enjoy the end of this game here. Thank you. I will. Bye. Thank you. See ya. Another great chat there. Thanks, Eric, for joining us. Um, we have a feeling that he enjoyed the rest of his night with the outcome of that f- replaying finals game on ESPN too. So now we have one last interview to share with you, which was with the head coach and GM of the Minnesota Leagues, Cheryl Reeve, who a lot of people are saying that Minnesota won the draft. Um, We definitely agree that they had a great night and interesting to get Cheryl Reeve's perspective on their night and how everything went. So without further ado, here she is. Final guest is on the line, so let's admit her. And uh, Cheryl Reeve should be here. Coach Reeve, how are you doing? Only Hi. we had had this shot at about uh, 
five thirty uh, <laughs> Central Time, six thirty Eastern. Um, <laughs> uh, hopefully, you didn't take any videos giving it away. Uh, you're bored. You like that, huh? High tech, baby. It's <laughs> it's so amazing. I remember the first time I saw one of those. People uh, just sort of don't realize, kind of. They imagine all kinds of bells and whistles. It's like, nope. There's probably just uh, you know someone on your staff, probably pretty junior, walking up there printing out those magnets ahead of time. It's a very important job. Just, just uh, it is. It's huge. You know, yeah. it's all about the magnets. <laughs> I'm uh, reassured to see that some of them don't even have magnets. Also, a classic feature of every uh, NBA. Oh yeah, NBA that's your favorite. Game. We always go. Which which name are we not going to have? Yeah. Uh, the the two German names, which we knew they would get drafted, but we didn't put them on our board. But yeah. Do, do you want to help us out and pronounce their names? Do you know how to do that? <laughs> Gieselsoder and Fibich. I don't know. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll take it. I'm just making it up. <laughs> we'll take it. How are you doing today? How are you feeling about the uh, how things went down tonight? Uh, you know, I need some time to digest everything. I always go back and, and I, and I want to look. Uh, I feel like I missed a section of the draft. Uh, I want to digest uh, what all the teams did to, to get a better sense. But in terms of our, uh, you know, part of it, that the draft went exactly as we, we thought it might. Um, not necessarily a, a best-case scenario, so to speak. You know, you have your different ones that you prefer. Um, but, you know, we, we thought it would go this way, and so we were ready for uh, the possibility of making a very difficult choice uh, at six. And so I think our pick was probably the first surprise pick um, of the first round, and, uh, you know, we were fortunate that at 16 we were able to get the balance that we were after uh, in terms of, uh, you know, getting the, the point guard in Crystal Dangerfield. That was a little bit surprising to us. Uh, but really, if you look at the draft, you know, there's a lot of subjectivity around it once you get past the first four players uh, that was that were, you know, much heralded. So uh, nothing should have surprised us. And, and again, we were lucky to uh, to get the balance that we did in the draft. And and, and we even like our, you know, the 26th pick in, in Erica Gumake, who um, great bloodlines. You can't go wrong with an Agumake. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, it's funny you say that, right? I think that um... – you uh, you might not have been too surprised. I'm sure some of the teams behind you were a little. And to your point, I think you probably surprised people um, picking uh, Kiki a little early, Herbert Harrigan a little earlier than people expected. But then also were surprised that you could pick up Crystal Dangerfield as late as you did. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what you saw in uh, Kiki Herbert Harrigan that maybe other people did not? I don't think it's a case that we, we saw anything in Kiki that other people didn't see. Uh, I think what happens is when you, you kind of settle in what you think you might need uh, on your roster, you look at the best players available. Uh, when the talent, what we felt like, if you look at the board uh, after six, if you look at, you know, for example, our board, if you look at, so you go, you know, Kiki, Ty Harris, Ruthie, Megan, uh, players like that, you just, you go, there's not a whole lot of difference in the mm-hmm. players. There's, it's very subjective. Um, and, and so we felt like the first five players were pretty clear to everybody and then it was going to be open from there. And, and so we didn't see anything that other people didn't see was a little bit high, maybe, uh, maybe three, four spots, uh, higher than what, uh, maybe anticipated. Um, and so, you know, you explore ideas to, to trade down. Uh, ultimately you need trade partners to do that. And so you have to make a decision. If you can't get that done, uh, you take the player that you want. And, yeah, that, and that's what we, what we did. That was a question I always had uh, when I was working in the NBA is like, if you think you, you know, let's just say that uh, you've got, yeah, you've got 
the sixth pick, or you've got her sixth on your board or even higher, um, and you think that no one else is anywhere close to that, how do you trade off the risk of dropping down and someone else might surprise you at eight or something if you drop to 10 um, versus just saying, hey, maybe it's a little earlier than we could probably squeeze every little piece of value out of this draft pick, but we just want the player. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to make that decision. If, you, if, you're, if you're willing to live with the idea that maybe uh, you don't get the, the player that you're trading down for, uh, depends on what asset did you get in return, was it worth it? Um, you know, we were going to do what we were sure of, in that we we had a really good idea uh, just from you know intelligence of you know kind of going through the process you knew uh we were pretty sure uh you know that that Dallas wasn't going to take her at 7 especially uh you know Ty Harris hanging around you know we uh we thought it could happen at 8 if Ruthie Hebert had gone earlier you know so different scenarios uh that we were considering and and uh we knew we couldn't get too far from 6 uh, and take that yeah. chance um but, uh, you know, like I said, ultimately there were, there were no trades available, uh, for us to explore when it, when it came time, when we were on the clock. And, and, uh, and so we waited a little bit and then, and then, uh, you know, we, we, again, before the draft, we said, okay, if this is the, this is how the draft goes, this is who we're taking. If we can trade down, then, you know, we explore that. If not, make your pick and keep moving. Remind me again, there's five minutes on the clock in the first round for you. Uh, this year there were four okay. in the in the first round. Uh, we we added a minute just to handle you know any possible glitches virtually. Right. And then do you strategically you know it's, I always thought it was interesting. Some teams will make that call immediately. Do you strategically sort of wait it out and see if your phone starts ringing uh, a minute or two in? Well, we were probably the first team. Uh, so you have to hold you know have to hold your pick. Um, you know, so it's a four minute pick. You got to hold your pick for three minutes, and you can't give it to them uh, until there's a minute to go. That's the earliest. Really? I think we were probably the first pick that was a little bit longer. Um, we might have got inside the thirty seconds um, just to just to see if anything was going to present itself. Do you often uh, get kind of last minute offers, or do you find that they're trades that you've maybe been talking about all week and couldn't quite come to terms, and then maybe you know one party or the other typically relents at the last minute? Uh, I would say that anything that's going to happen in the first round has probably already been talked about. Uh, and so that's much easier. And so you say, okay, um, hey, if the draft goes this way, would you be interested in doing this? And so you have your scenarios. If any of those scenarios hit, uh, you already have it in play. You're, you're on the phone right away once you see maybe the pick before you, how it went. Um, and then, uh, you know, you, you know, you react to it. Um, you know, in our case, we, we followed up and, um, you know, the, the thing that we had on the table, uh, you know, ended up not coming to fruition. And, and so, but later in the second and third round, because now the draft has progressed and picks start going and all of a sudden you see maybe there's a chance. Those are more, a little more impromptu, you know, second and third rounds. Um, you know, for example, what we did, um, I suspect that maybe the Phoenix trade uh, was something that they had probably talked about um beforehand but uh, you know our our pick for the 26th uh happened after our 16th and we watched a few picks so it all depends i think the first round is usually beforehand kind of moving to your second round pick with crystal dangerfield there obviously a little bit shocking that she was on the board still at 16 but how do you feel about that pick um and her fit with minnesota 
Well, that's probably where you, you felt like, um, you know, that we were pretty lucky. Um, you know, but again, it's subjective. It's not like uh, you go, oh, my gosh, you know, she's uh, a great player. I can't believe she was still there at 16. It was more, again, it, it's subjective. There were players that are uh, very similar in talent. It's just a matter of taste. It's a matter of maybe a skill set, uh, matter of size, maybe in the case of, of Crystal. But uh, I was a little surprised how much that was talked about. When when you look at – we have some smallish guards in our league. You know, I, I think – uh, you know, when you had, uh, you know, like a Sue Bird, Lindsey Whalen, you know, that, that were bigger guards, uh, you know, back when in Detroit you had Katie Smith, you know, Tisha Penichero, when you kind of go back a little bit. But I think there's been more of a, a turn towards smallish guards again. And uh, so I was a little surprised, you know, that, that there was as much chatter about her size as there was. Um, you know, that was not, that's not a concern uh, for us. Uh, I don't necessarily know that we're going to post her up like we posted up Lindsay Whalen at times, but um, but she can shoot the darn thing, and uh, that's something that people can't accuse us of is not improving our three point shooting this off season. Yeah. How much do you uh, rely on someone like Nafisa putting giving input on a former teammate uh, or you know other folks on your team? A ton. Um, you know, I kind of joked that uh, Nafisa was lobbying uh, for Crystal, but Nafisa took this very seriously. Uh, I think she appreciates the involvement, um, you know, in our roster and our decision making. Uh, Nafisa was on the call. Um, you know, we kind of zoomed her in. I, I, I like players to experience those those sort of things. And uh, she was so excited, you know, leading into the draft. She was hitting me up like, what are we doing? You know, just excited, excited for the players that were about to be drafted. It's still fresh in her mind. Um, and so she took it very seriously when I, we said, you know, tell the group about her. And, uh, you know, she shared the qualities, you know, as a teammate and, and what she thought she brought to the table. And ultimately was pretty excited when we were able to select her. Did it, were, she was on the call tonight. Uh, okay. as you were making, she was on the call tonight as you were making your. Yeah. Selections. Did any yeah, other players join you? Yeah, we always Sylvia Fowles is a part of uh, everything. We probably should put her on the payroll uh, on the executive side. of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think, again, these are players that, uh, you know, just invested, uh, you know, and it's more, it's virtual. So it's a lot harder, you know, it, they, uh, you know, just on a, on a, on a screen that, you know, muted type of thing, but, um, you know, listening, watching the, the broadcast, obviously listening to uh, how we go about our business. I think it's really interesting for players to see that side of it, to see us in a different light, to see us working. Um, and, and so, uh, and they know what goes into it. I, I think ultimately I want Sylvia to know, um, and the piece to know, you know, why we do certain things and, and how things came to be. Uh, cause if you're not paying attention and somebody writes about it that is not, uh, as in the know as what happened, you know, then you, you kind of, you, you get caught up in those sort of things. I want them to know exactly what we were doing and why we did what we did. Great. So do you got any questions? Oh, John, you're there too. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I- Sorry, Coach. John Little here. Um, Hi, John. Great job on the, uh, the the mock podcast. I really like that. Wasn't that fun? Well, thank you so much. Where'd you guys have Kiki? I forget. Where'd you have Kiki? Uh, we had her like at 10. Is that right, guys? I, uh, I took her at 10, yeah. Okay. All right. Absolutely. You got good but, taste. Yeah. <laughs> and we had the, uh, I, don't, I don't think ESPN had the sounder that we had on our podcast. Did they? I don't remember. Hey, uh, the sounder for some reason. I thought it would have really added to things. But I agree. Uh, in, in any event, I, as far as Kiki goes, um, kind of a two-party question. Uh, obviously, I'm sure you talked to Don a lot about her leading into the draft or something. 
but but two, how much did Kiki help herself this year? Talking to Coach Staley uh, a few weeks ago, she said that she really committed herself to get in better shape, be able to go longer, things like that. How much did Kiki help herself with her play and commitment this year? Uh, a lot. Um, you know, I can't necessarily uh, recall going back to the beginning and, and where we had uh, the beginning draft board. Um, but I, I just thought that Kiki's maturity was really obvious. Um, she sort of demonstrated, you know, the potential uh, that you can see in her that you actually started putting, you know, the, the, the P word is it can, it can be really hard. I mean, how long do you use the P word with players? Um, it's a dangerous word. you got to turn that into something tangible. Uh, and I thought she was able to do that where you can recognize and you go, okay, what is Kiki going to do in our league? Um, and, and you know, some basics that she's going to do and what can you add to it? Um, you know, a more consistent, uh, work ethic, a more consistent effort, uh, in the minutes that she's playing. Um, I think what we got from Kiki is that she really wants us badly. You know, she wants to be really good. Um, you know, and obviously, uh, Dawn was helpful in our evaluation, um, you know, as, as somebody who coach, when you're in the trenches, you know, you know so much more. And uh, I know that we don't know everything, um, that we possibly would want to know. Uh, but, but we, we learned a lot, uh, through the process. And, and I had been down there, uh, really throughout her career. I'd been to practices. I, uh, you know, I'd seen them live. I didn't get a chance to see her very much live this year. Um, but our staff did. And it was a matter of, I think our, our, our other uh, staff members getting to know her better, um, you know, because Kiki had to grow up a little bit too. You know, you have to channel your your passion in, in the right ways. And I think Dawn just did an unbelievable job uh, moving the needle with her. And you got to give Kiki a lot of credit for her maturity. You know, that's that's something that that she owned and and put herself in great position to to go in the first round and, and to go number six. Coach, I'm just kind of curious. We were talking about this a little bit before you hopped on, but. Uh, like right before you guys' pick, Rebecca's on the air saying, you know, the Lynx need a guard, whatever, whatever. You guys take Kiki. To what extent, uh, <laughs> not just this year, but any, any year going into a draft, do you focus on we need this position or we need this skill, we need a shooter, whatever it is, versus, you know, just I want the best player that available that you can take? And also, how does that change as you go from the first round into some of the later picks? Yeah. Well, you, you always want the best player available. I don't, I don't think any of us um, – you know, would want to draft differently in the first round. Um, because if you, if you are drafting for position, you're invariably going to leave somebody on the board uh, that's a better player and it's going to, it's going to haunt you for a long time. Um, now what happens is at some point in the, in the first round, even that there's a cutoff of players that are sort of your obvious best players it probably happened in the middle of the first round to us. I can't speak for the other other draft rooms that we felt there was a cutoff and six felt like the cutoff in terms of how the draft went, that you literally could go in a couple different directions. You could, um, you know, look – and honestly, I don't – I feel like every time I read some stuff and I listen to how much we need a guard, I look at my roster, I go, I don't know what I'm missing. I feel like I don't have all the players that I'm supposed to have because – we have a lot of guards on our roster. I think almost every time that you guys write it, Rachel Bannum and Lexi Brown text me and say, are you forgetting to submit our contracts? I don't know if they know that we're on the team too. Um, you know, certainly the Odyssey Sim situation is, is well documented. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're uncertain. Uh, I get that uh, piece to it, but we got Shanice Johnson. Um, you know, we have Chechi Zandalassini. 
I want you to look at our roster and tell me how there's a need, um, you know, in terms of the perimeter. Look at our post situation. And, and it's a gaping hole um, that we have. We have a player coming off an ACL injury. Um, you know, we have Kareem and Christmas Kelly, who we're really excited about, and we hope she can be healthy. But we have some concerns, right? That, and, and so then who else do I have? Uh, so to me, it was a gaping hole, uh, you know, that should have been really obvious. Uh, but I think the narrative is just like it catches like wildfire. Somebody says it, and then everybody else just runs with it. And, um, you know, so we didn't necessarily see our need uh, as point guard. Would we have taken a point guard if we thought that she was the best player available? Yeah, because that's the philosophy. But when you get to a certain point and you go, okay, now everyone that's left, uh, we don't see great separation. Uh, and so then, therefore, if it, there's no no great separation, then take the, the one that you need uh, to provide the depth that you want. And you look at what happens at 16. The strength of the draft when you get to the second round was primarily perimeter players. And remember what we think between 6 and 16, what's the difference in talent? If you look at this draft, again, it's very subjective, and we don't necessarily think that there's great differences. Uh, and so the, the strength of the draft at 16 was going to be perimeter. Uh, and we thought an outside chance. We thought that Crystal Dangerfield, you know, there were a number of times we thought she might have a chance. We thought it would be wishful thinking, but she might. Uh, and so then we were able to get that balance. And so uh, that's how we landed on the decision to uh, to do what we did at, at six and then obviously got lucky at 16. Coach, that's just fascinating stuff. And let's hope that nothing catches wildfire like they need a new coach and GM in Minnesota. Hey. I don't think anybody's going to. Start and I'm sure they'll that. listen. I'm sure they'll listen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I love Erica Gumake. I, she's, um, I, I've seen her play a lot. She's um, just such a tough player. Uh, obviously, she's yeah, kind of got that forward body and a forward mentality, but she's undersized, so she's going to have to be able to play a guard spot for you. When you've got a player like that that obviously has that competitiveness, but needs uh, a little development in some places. Um, how do you help her along uh, during this time? Well, one, accentuate what she does. She gets to the foul line like nobody's business, and she rebounds like nobody's business. She's an agumake. Um, her her motor. I mean, they're they're the. How do you not want an agumake in your franchise uh, for all the reasons? Uh, not just basketball. Incredibly intelligent. Um, you know, passionate about every, anything she touches, and so. Um, I, I'm just, I'm excited about her. I really am. I, and I think that, you know, it's obviously different. People haven't seen an Agumake that plays on the perimeter, right? Uh, I think that Erica is a better shooter uh, than what she showed her senior year. You know, she demonstrated above 30% in a couple other seasons. It is not her first thought. Uh, but if you pair her, and I, I don't know if she can make the team or not, it's very competitive. But if you look at the idea of getting something different on your roster, somebody that can get to the foul line, get in there and get to the paint, when you've got Rachel Bantam, Lexi Brown, Chechi Zandalassini, who are not necessarily drivers, you have now Kareem and Christmas Kelly, and you have, you know, Nafisa can do that, Erica can do that, Erica can guard the two, Erica can guard the three. Um, she's strong, you know, and that that's a gift. It's a translatable statistic. Uh, rebounding and getting to the foul line, are you kidding me? Um, so... I hope she gets the opportunity. I hope she brings it. Uh, I'm excited. I know she's watched a ton of WNBA. Uh, hopefully that, um, you know, the, she can forgive me for the L.A. Sparks uh, matchups and calling her sister the biggest flopper uh, in the game and that sort of thing. But um, 
I, I just have a great appreciation uh, for Aguma Kays, and I'm excited to see her in training camp. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much, Coach Reeve. I don't want to, unfortunately, you're on central time, but I don't want to keep you too long. I really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us. We, we actually had uh, Eric Tebow on earlier. So I'll ask you the same question. Very cool. What are you going to do now uh, to relax, you know, and then what's going to happen on like Monday? Well, I don't know. I don't want to relax. I want to get going. Um, but unfortunately, I think we're going to have uh, some, some downtime and I've got a home renovation going on. Um, I am now going to start diving further into uh, playbook, uh, video with players. They're going to be so tired of me before we get started. Uh, spend time with my staff. I've got a new staff, so we're going we're gonna to spend some time together in meetings and, and uh, just do what we can you know, to be the best that we can be when, when it's go time again. Great. Well, thanks so much. Uh, you definitely deserve a good night's sleep tonight. Ah, thanks. And uh, really appreciate all your support. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. All right. And that's it for tonight. Thank you all so much for listening to these three post-draft interviews. We had so much fun on our live stream chatting with Mirren, Eric, and Cheryl. And we're glad we got to share it with you today. As always, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to. Rate us, review us. It helps other people find us, and we love to read your reviews. Also, if you like the content you see from us, the podcast, the live streams, our tweeting, everything else, definitely go check out the site at herhoopstats.com. All the basketball insights you need, stats on the NCAA players, all of them that got drafted last night, are their stats are right there at your fingertips, and it's just $20 a year for, to subscribe. We hope you're all staying healthy, happy, and safe during these crazy times. And thanks again for joining us. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.